Welcome to Everyday Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. This podcast is designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to achieve your health and wellness goals. My goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and conversations from leaders in the health and wellness industry each week and impact over a million lives. Today, it was a distinct honor connecting with the prolific Dr. Stephen Gundry, who is one of the world's top cardiothoracic surgeons and a pioneer in nutrition. He is also the host of the top-rated Dr. Gundry podcast and medical director at the International Heart and Lung Institute for Restorative Medicine. Today, we dove into his background, which I found particularly of interest with our shared love for the heart the impact of one of his patients from many years ago, Big Ed, on his trajectory of his second career. We spoke at length about the mitochondria, dysfunctional mitochondria, the value of MCT oil, why ketones are a signaling molecule, the role of mitogenesis, mitochondrial uncoupling, recent studies, the value of anti-nutrients and nutrition. I hope you will enjoy this podcast as much as I did recording it. Welcome, Dr. Gundry. I've really been looking forward to connecting with you and talking about your new book. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, I would love to know how someone with your background, now the heart is an area of the body that I have been fascinated by. I worked 16 years in cardiology as an NP. How did you get from cardiovascular surgery into the work that you're doing today? What was the transition? Was there an aha moment? Did you get tired of writing prescription? What happened for you? Because I find this fascinating. Well, my my life changed about 27 years ago now when um, I was professor and chairman of cardiothoracic surgery at Loma Linda University here in Southern California. And I was very famous for, among other things, operating on people who nobody else wanted to. And I met a gentleman who I call Big Ed in all my books uh, from Miami, Florida, who was 48 years old. He had inoperable coronary artery disease. And that means you have so much disease in your arteries that you can't put stents in them because there aren't enough places. And you can't do bypass surgery because there's no place to land a graft because it's all clogged up. And people like Big Ed would go around to various centers in the country looking for idiots like me to operate on him. And everywhere he went, he got turned down. And he spent about six months doing this. And he finally arrived in my office. And I looked at his angiogram, the video of his heart, from six months earlier, done in Miami. And I said, you know, I agree with everybody else. Big Ed, there's nothing I can do for you. I'd love to help you, but they're right. He says, well, look, it's been six months since my diagnosis. I've been on a diet. I lost 45 pounds in six months. Now, the reason he's Big Ed, when I met him, he was 265 pounds. So he was over 300 pounds when this started. And he said, I went to a health food store and I've been taking all these supplements. And he literally brought in a shopping bag full of supplements. And he said, you know, maybe I did something in here. Well, you know, I'm stroking my professor beard and going, well, you know, big head, good for you, but you're not, you didn't do anything in there. I'm glad you lost weight. And I know what you did with all the supplements. You made expensive urine, which is what I firmly believed back then. And he said, well, look, I've come all this way. What would it hurt to get another cardiac catheterization, another angiogram? And I'm going, 
Yeah, don't get your hopes up. But okay. So we get an angiogram, and this guy in six months' time has cleaned out 50% of the blockages in his coronary artery, as in gone. And I'm going, what the heck? You know, this is impossible. Everything I know about this is impossible. I mean, I used to be on the abstract committee for the American College of Cardiology, for the American Heart Association. And if we had a, a statin drug trial where they got 0.1% reduction in plaque, 0.1% in a four or five year trial, we'd go, oh, this is miraculous. You know, this is unbelievable. And yet here's this guy in six months changing his diet and taking some supplements and 50% are gone. So I I said, tell me about this diet. So he starts rattling off what he'd been doing. And just interestingly enough, back in the dark ages when I went to Yale undergrad, and we could design our own major. And it was basically a thesis program, a master's program. And my major was you could take a grade eight, manipulate its food supply, change its environment, and prove you derive at human being. So I actually wrote my thesis, defended it, got an honors, gave it to my parents, and went away and became a famous heart surgeon. So as big as talking about this diet, I, you know, I go, wait a minute, time out. This is my thesis, you know, from Yale. You're, you're doing the ancient human diet that I described. And so I called my parents who lived in San Diego at the time and said, hey, do you still have my thesis? And they said, yeah, you know, it's here in the shrine. And I said, <laughs> send, send it up to me. And then I said, hey, big guy, let me look at these supplements of yours. And I was also very famous for protecting hearts during heart surgery from damage, protecting hearts from heart transplantation during damage. And I had this concoction that I would put down the veins and arteries of the heart that was known to protect heart cells from dying. And so I started looking through his supplement list and a number of the crazy things I was putting down the veins and arteries of the heart, IV, he was swallowing. And I'm going, you know, I've never occurred to me to swallow these dumb things. So I put myself on my program. And what's really humorous is, you know, here I am a world famous heart surgeon who's 70 pounds overweight, despite running 30 miles a week, literally, going to the gym one hour a day, every day, and eating a healthy, low-fat diet, because that's what you did as a professor at Loma Linda University. And, you know, I had pre-diabetes. I had such bad arthritis that I wore braces on my knees to run. I had migraine headaches when I did baby heart transplants. I had hypertension, you name it. I had high cholesterol. And, you know, I was told it was genetics because my father was the exact same way. And lo and behold, all this stuff went away. I lost 50 pounds my first year. I lost another 20 and kept it off for 25 years. And I started taking a bunch of supplements. And I started looking at blood work on myself every three months. And the changes were drastically amazing. So I started putting patients that I operated on for coronary artery disease on my program with the idea that, look, you know, I got you all patched up. I want to keep you away from me. I don't want to see you back here in five years, which was kind of the routine. And I want you to do this. So they do this and lo and behold, their blood pressure would normalize, their diabetes would go away, their arthritis would go away. 
So after about a year of this at Loma Linda, I was actually going into work uh, on a Friday morning. Uh, my wife calls it Black Friday to this day. And I looked at the mirror and I go, you know, I've actually got this all wrong. Instead of operating on people and then teaching them how to eat to avoid me later, I need to teach them how to eat so they'll never have to see. Now, for a heart surgeon, that's a really bad you know, career choice. I mean, it's just like, as all my friends used to kid me, they, well, you are trying to put yourself out of business. And I said, yeah, actually, that's what I'm trying to do. And so I actually resigned my position at, at the height of my career and set up a clinic in Palm Springs, which is just down the road from Loma Linda. And because I'm a researcher, I said, hey, you know, I want to get blood work on you every three months. I want to take certain foods away from you. I want to have you eat certain foods. I want to send you to Trader Joe's or Costco because there wasn't an Amazon back then. And I want you to buy some supplements and I want to see, you know, what happens. So, you know, I guess the rest is history. And yeah, that's how it all started. Big Ed. That's an incredible story. And I think about how incredibly courageous, you know, someone that, you know, I worked in the medical field for 20 some odd years and walked away from cardiology because I kept feeling as if the work I was doing with patients was ameliorating symptoms that weren't fixing the problem. And I recall at the time, everyone thought I was completely crazy for really wanting to just focus in on talking about diet and talking about lifestyle. And yet, you know, you really took this tremendous shift in your lifestyle and look at how much impact you've been able to make far greater than you would if you had stayed working as a surgeon. And certainly for me, coming from a cardiology background, we sent a lot of patients to the surgeons and they were, you know, every five, 10 years, they were seeing the surgeon to get a tune up, you know, when we'd existed, you know, dealing with them on any other interventional level. So I applaud you for taking that great, that great step. And a lot of what you're talking about is this reduction in inflammation and improvement in insulin sensitivity with regard to nutritional and supplemental changes. But I'd love to kind of start the conversation because I loved your new book in particular. I have all your books, but I love this one in particular because you spend so much time talking so eloquently about mitochondria, what's their purpose, you know, what are the things that we can do to support the mitochondria? So let's start the conversation there. All right. Well, my previous book before Unlocking the Keto Code was called The Energy Paradox. And it was written to try and explain to people that mitochondria, those little energy producing organelles that are in most of our cells, are really the center of the universe in terms of uh, our health. And part of trying to explain what mitochondria did and how they work was realizing that mitochondria producing ATP, which is our energy currency, is incredibly hard work. It's a sweatshop for producing ATP. And mitochondria are fascinatingly little ancient engulfed bacteria that have been enslaved within our cells, I guess, to produce ATP. And the conditions are horrible. Interestingly enough, we combine oxygen and a proton from the food we eat. And that combination of binding oxygen to a proton uh, produces ATP, but it produces a lot of other nasty things in the process. And it's those nasty things that people have heard about. People have heard about 
free radicals, they've heard about reaction, reactive oxygen species, et cetera, et cetera. And people are beginning to realize, certainly in, in the dementia uh, memory loss category, that more likely than not, much of our current epidemic of Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's is a mitochondrial dysfunction problem. Also, we're beginning to realize, and I go into this in the book, that cancer at its very core may be, and I certainly believe, a mitochondrial dysfunction problem. So we ought to probably be interested in how our mitochondria work and how we can keep them in the best possible shape. So that was in the energy paradox, I was trying to describe how ketones might be useful as a fuel uh, for mitochondria to use to make them more efficient. And I have a ketogenic version of my diet in all my books. And you'll notice that even in the plant paradox, my monster episode, which is five years old now, I have MCT oil as the basis of my ketogenic diet. And we can get into that maybe as we go along. But when I started showing the research of how ketones work, because I like to base everything I say on actual facts and research and patients. When you look at the literature, human literature, primarily out of the NIH, where I was a fellow, and also out of Harvard, you see that ketones, in fact, are not some super fuel, that they are not the fuel that our mitochondria think is the best thing that ever happened to them. They're not what our brain think is the best thing that ever happened to them. They're not. And so there I'm going, well, we know that you know, a ketogenic diet has a lot of benefits. We know that a ketogenic diet was designed to really minimize seizures in children when there was nothing else. So if ketones aren't some amazing fuel, what the heck are they doing? And so when you start looking at what they're doing, it turns out they're signaling molecules. Now, what the heck is a signaling molecule? Well, a signaling molecule tells the receptor what it wants the receptor to do, uh, whether it's a mitochondria uh, that's the receptor, whether it's DNA that's the receptor, whether it's a cell membrane that's the receptor. A signaling molecule tells information about what the cell or mitochondria should do. And I had an epiphany moment when I read this paper, which is a small paper that I think everybody should read. It was written in the year 2000 by a PhD by the name of Martin Brand, just like brand name. And simple described uncoupling to survive. And you go, well, what the heck is that? Well, and this underpins everything in the whole book, so I might as well explain it. Mitochondria, it's hard work making ATP and mitochondria have to have ways of protecting against damage, even undoing damage. And it turns out that in this race way along the electron transport chain in mitochondria, there are escape hatches. So there are emergency exits where when things get too hot, when things get too steamy, when things get too violent, then protons can escape without making ATP. And these escape hatches are controlled by what are called uncoupling proteins. And so when mitochondria 
uncouple. You are uncoupling oxygen, coupling to protons to make ATP. I joke that uncoupling is not what Gwyneth Paltrow did with her previous marriage. Now, I've spent six months trying to figure out a new word for uncoupling. Unfortunately, uncoupling is what's used in the, lit in the literature to describe this process. So I was stuck with it. So back to Professor Brand. If you're starving to death when you would be making ketones, that was when ketones were discovered, you would think that you would ask mitochondria to become profoundly efficient at extracting, at making ATP from whatever fuel is left. You wouldn't waste one you know, molecule of sugar or protein. But in fact, the observations were exactly the opposite, that during starvation, mitochondria become more inefficient. They uncouple more than you would think they would, and they waste fuel. And you go, well, that's really stupid. Well, so what happens is they, if you're starving to death, if you don't have your mitochondria at the end of the day, you're dead because they're making the fuel for you. So if you're starving, who cares about your muscles? Who cares about your skin? Uh, who cares about your hair? Everything's got to focus on saving the mitochondria. And if making energy is such hard work, then we have to make it really easy for the mitochondria to protect themselves. But there's a cool twist in the story. As mitochondria get the message to protect themselves individually, they also get the message to make more of themselves to carry the workload. And that's what's really cool about mitochondria is that they have their own DNA. They can divide without the cell dividing. They can make more copies of themselves within the cell called mitogenesis. I like to use the example of a dog sled. So if we had one dog pulling a dog sled, yeah, the dog can pull the sled. You're not going to go very fast and you're not going to go very far before the dog gets tired. If we hook five more dogs up to the same dog sled, you now each dog only has to do a sixth of the work and you're going to go a lot farther. The only, and you're, they're not going to get as tired, but the only downside is you got to feed six dogs instead of one dog. So when you start looking at that, you go, ah, so we've recruited a bunch of mitochondria. Each mitochondria has to work less. The downside is we're actually going to waste some fuel in the process. And so when you look at that whole thing, you go, son of a gun, the ketogenic diet makes you lose weight not because you're an efficient fat burner, blah, 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 but because you're actually wasting fuel to protect your mitochondria. And in the process, the mitochondria get healthy. You make more to share the workload. And that's what uh, Professor Brand was talking about. Now, is that believable? Well, he's gone on to show that if you look at the oldest of the oldest people, people over 105 years old who are thriving, they have the most uncoupled mitochondria of anybody. And we can talk about birds if you want to in a minute, but birds actually prove the thesis. So, Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? 
If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armour Colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armour's Colostrum strengthens immunity ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And Armour's colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced. And it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. 
It's amazing. And I love your analogies because it allows for the lay public, non-clinicians to really clearly understand what is going on in the mitochondria. Now, you know, in your book, you talk about the emergency exits and the bouncers. And so all these wonderful analogies just make it so much clearer. But I would love to talk about what are other things that can help uncouple mitochondria? Because a lot of our listeners are familiar with intermittent fasting and metabolic flexibility. And so I have this long list. And I know these are a lot of things that you talk about in the book. And for everyone that's listening, you need to get this book. I actually have my group of coaches. This is their book for September because I said this is such important information that we all need to read this together so we can better understand what's going on at a cellular level. Well, thanks. Yeah. And you know, your wonderful book behind you there, Intermittent Fasting Transformation. That's important corollary to all this. So like I talk about in the book, and I'm sure you know, only 50% of normal weight individuals have metabolic flexibility. Now, your listeners probably know metabolic flexibility basically says, look, mitochondria can use glucose as a fuel source to make ATP, but a mitochondria should be able to use free fatty acids or ketones as a fuel source to make ATP. But only 50% of normal weight individuals have the ability to turn on a dime between using glucose as a fuel and free fatty acids as a fuel. Can't be done with 50%. Overweight individuals, 88% of overweight individuals have no metabolic flexibility. And 99.5% of obese individuals have no metabolic flexibility. And what that means is that even if you stopped eating, even if you stopped eating carbohydrates and went on a high fat or high protein ketogenic diet, the vast majority of individuals can't make the switch from burning sugar as a fuel to burning fat as a fuel, free fatty acids. And what most individuals don't know, sadly, is that insulin is actually the culprit in all this. Insulin is the fat storage hormone, and insulin's job is to sell sugar and proteins to muscle cells when you've eaten a lot and get it out of circulation and primarily turn it into fat if there's extra. Now, when insulin is also, if you're trying to store fat, the last thing in the world you would want is somebody taking that fat out of storage. That'd be silly. So when insulin is elevated, as it is in the vast majority of Americans, insulin prevents fat, free fatty acids, from being released from fat cells. So you could eat all the fat in the world. You could even fast for days at a time. But until your insulin level drops, and I can tell you it can take two or three weeks in my practice to see it, you won't free up free fatty acids. You won't make ketones because you got to have free fatty acids to make ketones unless you're having MCT oil, which I have, they have some in here. We'll get into that in a second. You're going to fall flat on your face. And you know that. I know that. You get the keto flu, the Adkins blues, your you know exercise performance plummets, and you get hangry, and you give up. Yes. So many patients do. And I profile uh, a woman in my book, Miranda, who was on a ketogenic diet for physician supervised for two years. And she was gaining weight. And this 
well-meaning physician, had never checked a fasting insulin level on this poor woman. And, you know, she, so we got a fasting insulin level on and she was 16. And folks, that's high. And she was apoplectic that here she was eating, you know, a ketogenic diet. And now we know why she was gaining weight because the insulin was taking anything she ate, which was a lot of fat and storing it as fat. So when we stopped her doing her ketogenic diet, she started to wait, lose weight. Her insulin now is four. We just checked in a month ago. So oh, that's fantastic. And I think it's, I'm so grateful that you talked about fasting insulin because this is oftentimes that first biomarker that will start to dysregulate. But if we're not checking it, anytime I talk to anyone, I always say, help yourself by ensuring that you're having your fasting insulin checked a couple times a year. I know depending on my thyroid medication, I can see where my fasting insulin trends. It's always within a healthy amount, but if my thyroid is starting to lag, I'll see the resultant changes in my insulin sensitivity. Now, when we're talking about MCT oil, cause you so appropriately brought it up, let's explain what is different and unique about MCT oil compared to other types of healthy fats. Yeah. So again, in all my books, in the ketogenic version of all, of all my diets, I emphasized MCT oil. And MCTs, medium chain triglycerides, are very short chain fatty acids that are water soluble. And unlike any other fat, MCTs are absorbed directly from our in intestines. All the other fats we eat, even olive oil, have to be carried by moving bands called chylomicrons. And they actually have to enter our lymph system before even getting into our bloodstream. But MCTs go right through the wall of your gut and are taken directly to the liver. And in the liver, they're turned into ketone bodies, ketone. So the cool thing about MCTs is that I could have a large fresh fruit salad and have a tablespoon of MCT oil, and I would actually make ketones. I would be in ketosis despite the fact that I had this ridiculous fresh fruit salad. So I'm not telling everybody to rush out and have a fresh fruit salad and have some MCT oil. But the point is, with most of us being insulin resistant, with most of us having high insulin, we can't get to our fat stores because insulin's blocking it. But we can make ketones from MCT oil, and we can kind of keep the motor running, if you will, until we get to the point that our insulin drops on its own, and then we can start releasing free fatty acids from our fat cell. Now, the important thing I think that people should realize is that ketones are not this amazing fuel. They are not a panacea. And I spent a lot of time in the book debunking the ketone myth that ketones are the world's greatest superfuel. Human studies out of Harvard and the NIH show that at maximal ketosis, muscles only derive 30% of their energy production by burning ketones. The rest come primarily from free fatty acids and glucose. And even at full ketosis, the brain, which supposedly thinks ketones are great, only 60% of its fuel will be from ketones, and it will want 30 to 40% of its fuel as glucose at full ketosis. Finally, to put the nail in the coffin, if you look at full ketosis human beings, 
the muscle use of ketones is maximum at three days into ketosis. But if you look at the athletic literature of the ketogenic diet, athletes who should have been perfect at three days because that's when they're using ketones, that's when their performance plummets. And you got to get ketone adapted three to four weeks out before you see an improvement in performance. So it, sorry, folks, ketones aren't just some amazing fuel, but they're a great way to get us through that transition to get to burning free fatty acids, get them released from our fat cells. That's what we all want. So MCT oil is a great trick for that. Do you have a, a maximum therapeutic dose that you recommend to your metabolically flexible patients versus the inflexible ones? Because I know this question will come up and I have to sometimes caution people, you know, when they're looking at key, you know, ketogenic diets, if, they, if a little bit of fat is good, then more fat is better. Where is the happy kind of middle ground on that? So if we think about MCT oils for a second, certainly the women in my practice do not tolerate advancing MCT oils rapidly. A lot of the women get nausea, they get diarrhea. I found, interestingly enough, that powdered MCTs are better tolerated by women. And the nice thing about powdered MCTs is you can mix them in your coffee. I'm, I'm having a, a powdered MC drink of, of my own right now. Delicious. But what I like to do is start people off with like a teaspoon three times a day. And if I can get people up to about a tablespoon three times a day, that's a pretty good spot to be. We know that a tablespoon will absolutely generate ketones for several hours. The other trick I like, particularly when we're doing time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting, is getting people to extend their break fast is very difficult. And it's primarily because most of us are insulin resistant when we start these programs. So in the book, I like to hold people's hands and we step down one hour a week and we take the weekends off until we get to 11 or 12 o'clock is when we break our fast. But MCTs are really useful to get through this period because it doesn't break your fast because you're actually producing ketones and gives you hopefully a little crutch to lean on as you're going along. I think it's certainly important that when we're talking about an otherwise metabolically unhealthy population that we have to go about strategies in a different way than we would in someone who's metabolically healthy. And I remind people there should be no white knuckling when it comes to fasting or to making behavioral changes that we sometimes need to make very small changes over time, as opposed to saying, okay, we're going to go from eating a standard American diet, being a couch potato, and we're going to now ask you to fast for 15 hours. Their body is not designed to be able to effectively fuel their body and to be able to get to a point where they can do that comfortably. And that would be an example of white knuckling it. But I see a lot of what I want to believe are well-meaning individuals in the health and wellness space who encourage that behavior. And they're wondering why their patients can't stick with those kinds of recommendations. Yeah. I mean, I used to joke that, you know, it would be like Kobe Bryant when he was alive, teaching me how to dunk a basketball. 
He could tell me every spring in the step, how to position the body, how to you know, do that. And I'm five foot 10. And quite frankly, all the coaching in the world could probably never get me to dunk a basketball. And we have a lot of, I believe, well-meaning health coaches out there who are, for the most part, very fit and trying to take their ability to be metabolically flexible and tell everybody that that's what you ought to do on day one. Again, it's like when my wife taught me how to run in, in my middle age, the idea that I could run a half marathon stepping out the door, I couldn't have done it. Number one, I would have fallen flat on my face, but I would, you know, you got to walk and then you got to jog and blah, blah, blah. And the idea that we should not know that whatever sport we're entering into, including eating, you can't just jump in the deep end of the pool. You just can't do it. It's physiologically impossible because most people are metabolically inflexible. And I think it's important for people to hear that, not just from me, but to hear that from other clinicians, because I'm much more of a slow and steady win. So it, it, these small incremental changes are things you can sustain as opposed to, you know, the diet culture has done us all a, a tremendous disservice by convincing us that we should be able to lose 10 pounds in a week. That should be sustainable. And you only have to do this quote unquote diet for two months and it's going to change everything. And we know that that's actually not the case. No, you know, I, one of my books, one of my sayings was weight off fast will never last and weight off slow. You're good to go. One of my other quotes was, fat in your gut, you're out of luck, and fat in your ass, you're built to last. <laughs> That's why J-Lo is going to live forever, as far as I can tell. So, In your book, you bring up some very interesting studies. And, you know, it was interesting for me because I've read your book now twice. And, you know, each time I've read it, I gleam different perspectives. But let's talk about DNP. I thought this is a very interesting compound that you talk about at length in the book. Yeah, back in World War II, uh, World War I, sorry about that, it was noted that munition workers, factory workers in France and Germany were extremely skinny, uh, even though they ate a lot of food. And they always seemed to be running a low-grade temperature. And it wasn't until the 1920s when it was discovered that one of the compounds that's used in making gunpowder is called 2,4-dinitrophenol. Phenol, remember that word. And it's abbreviated DNP. And DNP, they found, increased the metabolic rate of these individuals. And that was why they were running a temperature. And that's why they were so skinny. So a couple of, I guess you could call them entrepreneurs, doctors at Stanford in 1930, said, son of a gun, this DMP stuff could be a miracle weight loss formula. And they began writing prescriptions for DNP. And it was a miraculous weight loss drug. Now, over 100,000 prescriptions were written for DMP just in the United States alone. At low dose, you could lose a pound a week, which is, you know, which is great. At high dose, you could lose five pounds in a week, which is a miracle. And so it became very, very popular. Now, unfortunately, the more popular it got and the more concentrated dosages people used, people started having thyroid issues. They developed cataracts 
And this is before cataract surgery. And I joke, can you imagine getting into that skinny red dress and you can't see yourself in the mirror? Oops. And there were deaths. And so the FDA, the newly formed Food and Drug Administration, banned DNP from sale in 1938. But there's been considerable research on DNP of finding a way of harnessing DNP's power without killing people. And what's been learned is that DNP is really the first uh, mitochondrial uncoupler in, the, in an oral agent. And the reason it caused such significant weight loss is that you literally told mitochondria to just waste huge amounts of the fuel that you would normally turn into ATP. And that's where the weight loss came from. So you could find DNP on the dark web, I am told. It is still used, I guess, by bodybuilders to get cut for competition, but please don't. There is a very slippery slope in DNP use. But DNP, the phenol ring caught my attention because I have been fascinated by polyphenols, lots of phenols for most of my current career. And we know that certain polyphenols are thermogenic compounds. And we've never known why they're thermogenic compounds. But so when I started looking at what polyphenols do, uh, I went, well, son of a gun. So let's talk about where polyphenols come from. Well, plants have to make ATP. And plants, so we use oxygen to make ATP. Plants use sunlight, photons, to make ATP. And just like oxygen is damaging to our mitochondria, surprisingly, sunlight is damaging to plant mitochondria. They're called chloroplasts, but they're mitochondria. And so plants manufacture polyphenols, those beautiful colors that we see soon in the fall in Richmond, Virginia. After the chlorophyll leaves the leaves in the plant, all those yellows and reds and purples and oranges come out. Those are the polyphenols that were actually there to protect the mitochondria plants. And how do they protect the mitochondria plants? Shockingly, they uncouple the mitochondria plants so that the mitochondria don't have to work so hard and don't get damaged. So now we know that these brightly colored products of plants, eat the rainbow, as I talked about, are polyphenols. So what happens when we eat the polyphenols in plants? Well, Two exciting things. It turns out, this is recent uh, research, our microbiome, our good bacteria, absolutely love polyphenols. They just think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and we won't talk about sliced bread, which is not the greatest thing. But So they eat the polyphenols as a prebiotic fiber. They then transform those polyphenols into bioabsorbable compounds. Uh, polyphenols are not well absorbed without without microbiome intervention. And those polyphenols then uncouple our mitochondria in the same process. So we get this wonderful, you know, 
phenol ring every time we eat these colorful plant compounds. And it just so happens that, you know, most spices, as I talk about in the book, are just chock full of polyphenols. Most of the healthy vegetables that we're taught to eat are chock full of polyphenols. Coffee, tea, chocolate, chock full of polyphenols. So, you know, when you hear eat the rainbow, what I want really people to hear is I want to eat polyphenol containing foods. And every time we do, we uncouple our mitochondria. And that's really a good thing. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believe that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bi Optimizers. Masszymes is a full spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product with five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today, risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting-edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I have used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar 
without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code E. WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. It's really fascinating to me because there are dietary changes or, or things that we do every day in my house. My husband and I are not coffee drinkers, but we do drink green tea. And, you know, it's one of those things where I'll have patients say to me, it's bitter. I don't like plain coffee. I don't like bitter tea. And I'm like, we have to find a way for you to drink it. There's just, there's so many benefits from it. And I love that you included chocolate because that's my only vice in life. And that's certainly very important. Now, I just want to make sure I touch on one area that I got a lot of questions about when I reached out to listeners and told them that we were going to have a conversation today the concept of anti-nutrients, because I think this, we can't say this enough, how there are certain food stuffs that are in the processed food industry that we are exposed to that we presumptively assume are healthy that are not. I just had my husband do a whole 30 for a month and he was amazed to feel how, to see how much better he felt not eating gluten and dairy, but I would love to at least touch on gluten and oats and lectins and some nightshades, because it really is relevant, not only to the health of our gut microbiome, but symptoms that patients just assume are related to old age, or they've overworked a muscle. And it's really attributable to the exact foods they assume are healthy to be eating. Yeah, that was, you know, the whole basis of the plant paradox. There are obviously plants do not have our best interest in mind. They were here first. Um, they want to live. They want their babies, their seeds to live. And they have protective mechanisms to make sure that their predators, which include us, think twice about eating them. And one of the things that I chose to focus on was lectins, which are proteins that are well-known, thanks to the work of Alessio Fasano, who's now at Harvard, to cause leaky gut, to break the tight junctions in our gut. And you could eat the best gut healing diet. You could take the best gut healing supplements, and I'll be happy to sell you some. But if you keep swallowing razor blades, you will just tear this up every day. And we can measure these things. It's not pseudoscience. Uh, intestinal permeability is real. Leaky gut is real. I and many of my colleagues now realize that Hippocrates was right, that all disease begins in the gut. And I happen to believe that all disease ends in the gut, including heart disease. But So these particles are designed to cause porosity. And of the lining of the gut. And 80% of our immune system lines our gut because that's where trouble comes across. And so people talk about, well, I want to eat an anti-inflammatory diet. You could take all the anti-inflammatory compounds in the world and living here in Southern California, that's like fighting one of our forest fires with a garden hose. You've got to stop feeding the fire and you've got to stop this leak. And once you do that, it's amazing what people feel. So gluten, quite frankly, is a troublemaker, but 
I can tell you from so many of my autoimmune patients and 80% of my practice now is autoimmune disease. Nobody's gotten help with. The amazing thing is that uh, glyphosate roundup in our food products is one of the biggest issues we have now in the United States in leaky gut. Now know that glyphosate in and of itself can cause leaky gut without any other help. We know that glyphosate uh, selectively kills off the gut microbiome that makes the feel-good hormones like serotonin, selectively kills them off. And we wonder one of the reasons we have so much anxiety and depression in this country is that glyphosate's been with us now for 50 years. When I have people who are clearly gluten intolerant and we can measure it gluten sensitive, when we heal their leaky gut, 98% of them no longer have antibodies to gluten, gone. And when they go over to Europe, um, Italy, France, and they cheat, they have pasta and pizza and breads and croissants, they don't reactivate their autoimmune disease. And they go, they're really excited. And they come back and say, oh, Dr. Kendra, you scared me. You know, I, I can eat this stuff. Within a week of coming back to the United States and eating our bread products, our oats, they're back. Uh, their psoriasis flares or rheumatoid arthritis flares or lupus flares, their Crohn's flares. And they go, what the heck? You know, I was cured. Well, it's because they don't have glyphosate over there like we do. Um, and it's just, it's really sad. Speaking of oats, this oat milk craze is driving me crazy. <laughs> uh, my older daughter is a horsewoman. Uh, she's great dressage, uh, training for the Olympics. She says, look, there's only one purpose of oats, and that's to fatten horses for winter. And I firmly agree with her. Oats have a molecule that cross-reacts with gluten. And we see it all the time in our patients. Just yesterday, we had a patient who is celiac was on a gluten-free diet for 10 years, still had celiac, even had a biopsy, still had celiac. And when we did her testing, lo and behold, she was sensitive to corn. She reacted to corn as if it was wheat and she reacted to oats. And that was the basis of her gluten-free diet was you know corn and oat products. We took that away from her. And within a week she came, you know, she calls up and says, wait a minute, something's really weird here. You know, I, I don't have, you know, what, my gut is fine. What's, what the heck you mean to tell me that my gluten-free diet was causing my celiac? And it's true. It's so, incredible. Yeah. Oats are, are not our friends. No, it's interesting. The oat milk craze has definitely been enlightening. I feel like there's a lot of memes on social media. People ask about oat milk all the time. And I think my general consensus is if you don't tolerate dairy, try to find, you know, I'm not sure what you feel about milk, but you know, like a cleaner nut milk or a clean coconut milk. If you, you know, feel like yeah, that's coconut what you want to use. Yeah. That's usually what we use in my house. Yeah. Coconut milk is really quite safe. Plus it does have some MCTs that'll uncouple your mitochondria. So yeah, coconut milk is the safest out there right now. Yeah. What are you working on right now? Are you working on your next book? Yeah, we've just, just started writing it. Uh, if I told you the title, I'd have to kill you. Uh, <laughs> but it's really, it's, looking at, it's, a, it's actually looking at Hippocrates and saying, okay, how, you know, is this true? Is all disease begins in the gut? And I'll, I'll just give you a, a funny story. Through the years, I've, I've gotten to be good friends with uh, Dr. Dale Bredesen of uh, you know, Alzheimer's fame and uh, David Perlmutter from Grain Brain and recently Drop Acid. 
And David and I were, were talking one day and I said, you know, the funny thing is, you know, you're a neurologist and all you and I talk about is the gut. And I said, you know, I'm a heart surgeon and cardiologist and all you and I talk about in the gut. I said, isn't it crazy that, you know, we've come from these diverse areas of specialization and we've come to the realization that all of this, you know, came from the gut. And he says, yeah, he says, I hate it. Hippocrates was right. So all of us now focus on the gut. And, you know, I gave a paper, published paper a couple of years ago, looking at several thousand people in my practice with known coronary artery disease who have been treated with my program for up to 10 years. And like you mentioned, normally, if you give people maximal medical therapy, statins and diet, their recurrence rate is usually 50% of them will have a new event or a new stent within five years. In our patient population going out to 12 years, we have a 1% recurrence rate. And so Hippocrates is right. You can manipulate what's happening in the cardiovascular system Perlmutter and Bredesen would tell you, you can manipulate what happens in the brain. And so this next book is, okay, here's why all this is happening. And here's the tricks that we can make this work. Well, I can't wait to read it. And and obviously I'm a huge fan of yours. I could have probably had enough content to talk for hours. Please let listeners know how to connect with you on social media. You've got a vibrant Instagram account, where to purchase your books, et cetera. So you can find me at um, on Instagram. You can find me at the Dr. Gunvey podcast. It's now one of the leading health podcasts in the world. We're on podcast one. You can find me at drgundry.com. Please come to my supplement and food company, gundrymd.com. Got two YouTube channels uh, and it's all free content. Uh, it's just uh, hop on by. Happy to talk to you. Wonderful. Thank- books wherever they're sold. But please, as anybody knows from the pandemic, please go into your local bookseller. Luckily, my books are very popular, so they'll have them. If they don't have them, make them get them. Uh, help your local bookseller. They've been decimated. They need our help. I so agree. And thank you for all your valuable contributions. Thanks a lot. And again, I keep doing this because, you know, just kind of every day I get to hear a success story. Um, Physician wrote me last week, he'd been diagnosed biopsy proven prostate cancer. And he put himself uh, on my program and he demanded a new MRI and biopsy nine months later and it's gone. He said, thanks. And he says, I never met you, but I read your books and thank you. So that's why I keep doing it. It's wonderful. What a wonderful story to end with. Yeah. Now, I don't cure cancer, but there is a lot of really good research that cancer is a metabolic uh, mitochondrial disease. And there's a few tricks in the book to uh, help you out with that. Wonderful. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for having me. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. 
The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.